Blog Talk Radio. Sunday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Cinema Noir. This is Kimberly Renee, and I'm joined with by my co-hosts, Candace and Rebecca. Happy Sunday, ladies. Hey, happy, happy Sunday, Sunday. everyone. All right. So in honor of the Thanksgiving holidays coming up this week, we are all excited about, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite holiday episodes of our favorite television series. Um, we are also going to be talking about the winter finale of How to Get Away with Murder, which everyone has been talking about online. And then last, we're going to talk about the award season, which is starting to get in gear, and, you know, just with some of the films that we think people should have on their radar this season. But to get us started, we're going to begin with our reviews. And Candace, I believe you've seen Nocturnal Animals, so tell us what you thought about it. I have. Um, so Nocturnal Animals is the newest Tom Ford thriller, thriller slash drama slash it, it kind of kind of is a hard one to identify genre wise, but um, I will say it's to me of the films that I have seen this year so far, it is the most provocative and the one that has literally stayed and festered in my brain since I've seen it, which is actually fairly recently. I think I saw it like a week or two ago. Um, so I have it, it's a one is very, very well acted, and just to kind of give you a small, a very brief recap or um, synopsis of the film, it stars um, Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal essentially plays two characters, but he plays himself in the past, um, and then he plays a character. He's a novelist, so he plays a character um, that he created. So he basically is enacting um, a character that he wrote about in this novel, his, his newest novel. Um, and Amy Adams' character is connected to him because they used to date a very long time ago. So it shifts um, eras. Um, I think there's about 20 years apart. Um, it's present day, and Amy Adams' character is married in the present day to Army Hammer. Um, and it goes back and forth from present day to um, when she was with Edward, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and so their relationship dissolves in pretty dramatic fashion on account of, um, I'll just say Amy Adams' character did him dirty. <laughs> I won't tell you how, but she did him dirty in a number of ways. <laughs> um, and so basically their relationship was dissolved once he found out how she did him dirty. Um, and so he kind of almost as a really, really good revenge fantasy, I call it, wrote a book 
the one, what, well, a little bit of insight on into their relationship, um, their previous relationship. So Edward, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Susan, Amy Adams, they were together, and they both came come from Texas. They were both very, very sweet, very nice people, um, very compassionate. Um, and then, you know, they both um, end up moving to New York for different reasons, but both wound up there. She was like this idealistic artist. He was a novelist. They were both kind of like these struggling idealist people who found each other or reconnected because they actually knew each other from even further back uh, in their childhood, but um, decided to hook up. They, they were in a relationship and then all of a sudden, um, well, not all of a sudden, but they gradually just discovered that they were moving in different directions. Um, and Amy Adams' character was no longer the idealist, but Jake Gyllenhaal was. Um, and so Amy Adams had basically been seduced by the lavishness and, uh, and the wealth of New York City and became this, she was moving in that direction while Jake Gyllenhaal was still kind of maintaining his humility. Um, and so anyway, um, he writes this novel and we, we never see him in the present. We only see him as his character. Um, and so she is reading, she, she gets this manuscript in the mail and she's reading his book. And at first she's just like, oh my gosh, this is a book that, you know, she, um, that he was kind of talking about while they were, while they were together and he never was able to finish it while they were together. Yada, yada, yada. They, um, she finally gets this book. She's really excited about it. And so she starts reading it. And as she's reading it, it's, um, it's being enacted by um, Jake Gyllenhaal as his character and Isla Fisher as his wife. And so the two of those characters were supposed were basically allegories for what he, um, Edward, sees as a ploy to kind of get back at Susan for what she did to him. And so what happens in, which is the larger plot, is what happens in his novel. Um, and as Amy Adams in the present is discovering, what, you know, how he sees him kind of basically getting back at her through this novel, she, it just, it becomes very, it becomes just very suffocating, emotionally suffocating for her and very brutal. I'll say that. So I'll say it's very well acted. It's very interesting um, because there's a lot of different dimensions, a lot of different layers. Um, I think it has a lot of really interesting things to say about um, conservatism, um, classism, gender, politics, and relationships, as well as when it comes to, we often see this with revenge fantasies. It's usually by, it's usually, the perpetrator is usually the woman in this in this area or in this movie is the man and he is so scorned that he basically wrote it's like basically writing a diss track but actually it's a novel because that's the kind of guy he is <laughs> but, but you know it's it's a very interesting beautifully shot um as tom ford's movies generally are very very pretty but also very very nasty um, because it's brutal. It's really, um, this guy's pissed and it's obvious through his novel. So I'll just say that. 
I say go see it, though. That's that's one of those films that I want to go see, so it's definitely on my list. And I love Jake Gyllenhaal. He's the cutest. Yeah, he's excellent in it. Really, really good in it. Cool. All right. So like I said earlier, to celebrate the holiday season that is upon us, rapidly approaching, we decided that we're going to talk about some of our favorite holiday episodes of our favorite television series. Um, So, Rebecca, we'll start with you. Which um, episodes made your list? Television shows. Um, Gosh, I actually, I'm actually thinking about um, pretty much all the Buffy holiday episodes are some of my favorite ones because they're twisted, but they're really dark. (laughs) As I was thinking about that, um, Cosby Show, I like their their holiday episodes too. Um, I'm trying to think of one that's that's been recent that I really really like. Blackish, um, yeah, yeah. I think Blackish is, is their holiday episodes are, are some of my favorite ones. I, I'm trying to think of the one. So the, the the Thanksgiving episode was one of my favorite ones. Mm. Yeah, I love Blackish too. It's funny when I was coming up with my list, most of mine are old too, <laughs> like older um, sitcoms and things like that. I didn't really have mm-hmm. anything that. Nothing way too recent that came up to mind, but um, I know mm-hmm. for me, like, I love Martin. I think Martin is probably one of the funniest shows ever, although mm-hmm. now when I watch some of it, it's like some of it's kind of disturbing, <laughs> but the uh, Thanksgiving episodes where I think it was like the men versus the women cooking the holiday dinner um, oh, yeah. is one of my favorites. Uh, the episode, I know it's like Tam and Gina are cooking with his mother and her friend who's played by Millie Jackson. And I have this weird obsession with Millie Jackson. I just think she's super badass. So I just love seeing her on there anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So that was one of mine. I know Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there was a holiday episode where I think they, it was Nikki, um, the youngest kid, his christening, and Will promised that he would get boys to men to sing. And so he had to a fine voice come in and get them, oh, right. get them to actually yeah. come sing for this kid's christening. And it turns out that he, like, had this beef with one of the guys back in the day. So it was really funny. Um, I had the show, too, uh, that one episode where Cliff, like, has to keep going back to the grocery store yes. because that is the story of my life every yes. freaking year. Like, literally last year I had to buy two turkeys because I kind of messed up the first one. And so I literally had to go <laughs> back to the store on Thanksgiving Day to get a turkey. So, yeah, that is the story of my life every freaking year. Um <laughs> Different World always had really good holiday episodes, too. Um, one of my favorites is the one, the Christmas episode, where they did, like, the past, present, and future with Whitley. And um, they mm. did the, the Christmas song, The 12 Days of Christmas, Hillman Style, which I still know all the words to to this day, <laughs> like 20 years later. Um, so, yeah, those were some of the ones that I had on my list. Uh, Candace, what about you? I'm so glad that you mentioned the Cosby – well, both of you mentioned the Cosby show. I think the one the one that you mentioned, Kim, was the one that immediately, like, like soon as we started thinking about holiday-themed TV episodes, the one where Cliff goes back and forth to the grocery store is the one that just sticks out in my mind as, like, one of mine of all time. 
Um, <laughs> one, just the mishaps of the groceries. He drops them. Claire f- forgot to tell him about something, and it's just like pouring rain, and he looks so miserable. And, it, and then I think that's also some, the same episode where um, Denise's, because I can't remember her name, Denise's husband's ex also has to join them for for dinner, if I'm yes, correct. Yes, um, yes. Victoria Rao was on Victoria there. Victoria Rao. Yes. I can't remember the character's name. Do you remember the character? I think it's Paula, but I'm not 100% oh, sure. I think it is Paula. But, yeah, that was – and so there's just so much happening in that episode, and there's a lot of people there. And it just – I think for most holiday episodes – um, that I love. It always is some major catastrophe because, you know, tension is high. There's a lot of personalities, some of whom you might not like. And I think that episode just kind of encaps- encapsulate all the pressure, the tension, the just everything all at once. So that always, yeah. kind of, that probably sticks out to me as my favorite of all time. Um, the other two actually come from Will and Grace. So, and I think, I have to remember because I think these are two separate episodes, but for, in my head, they're joining as one. <laughs> but, but so there's one where, um, and I don't know if either of you have seen the show, but, yes. um, it, okay, cool. <laughs> so there's one, and I don't remember if it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, but all the main characters, they have to, there's like a timer and they have to go to each other's houses. And they're, they're, they, they kind of just made this plan to go to visit each other's houses and like Jack's house, um, Grace's house, Will's house, I um, cannot remember her name, Megan Mullally's house. Um, Karen. So they have to go to, Karen, yes. They have to go to each of their houses and, or at least their families just to kind of say, okay, we're kind of trying to be as inclusive in terms of just who to spend time, who to essentially spend the holidays with um and so and they just you realize that these characters come from even crazier characters like you meet their parents or you meet their siblings and it's just like oh I see why you're like that because this is your family essentially but then there's a separate episode I believe is the episode where um everyone is gathered at Will's house and and, that, and Grace is there, Susan's there. Everybody's over there. I believe it's a holiday. And um, one of Will's relatives is coming out of the closet, but she, and she wants to choose that night to do it, like during dinner she wants to say it. And I don't remember much else because I remember there was just a lot of catastrophe happening. And, like, if I remember correctly, both Grace, and um, Karen both sleep with one of Will's relatives or something, and he's, like, super underage, and, like, this is so much craziness happening in this episode, and I believe out of all of that, it's still also a holiday episode, and I think, um, what's her name? Uh, Minnie Driver is also in that episode. So, anyway, yes. Um, So those are my... You that I have on my list. That's so funny. Um, There was another Martin episode where I think it might have been the first time that Gina's family met Martin's family, and so he has like this cousin, and um, 
his uncle who played by, oh, gosh, what's his name? Oh, gosh, I cannot think of his name right now. Um, but it's his cousin and his uncle. I think his cousin, like, steals from people. And her parents, you know, are very kind of uptight and bougie. And it's so funny and so real because I feel like Thanksgiving more than any other holiday, there always just seems to be, like, these random people that kind of show up or that are invited. People try to be so inclusive, and it always causes this mm-hmm. chaos mm-hmm. to ensue. Um, <laughs> so that was another episode. Um, I don't know if either of you ever watched The Office, the American version of it. Yeah, That show is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. Um, and I know one episode they had, like, this Christmas party, and I think Michael had just broke up with his girlfriend, and so Andy, like, takes him to Benihana to pick up girls. And so they bring back the two waitresses to the holiday party, but they're just so drunk that they don't actually remember which girl is there. So he, like, marks the girl's hand so he'll know that that's his date. And it's just so oh my God. It's utterly offensive because they're both Asian. <laughs> so it's like, you can't tell these two girls apart. Like, what's the issue here? Utterly offensive, but it's still so funny. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's another good episode. Um, and I Friends used to have really show. good holiday episodes, too. Um, I've seen every episode of Friends, like, at least five times. For some reason, <laughs> um, but they always had really good holiday episodes. They do. So, one of their show had um good holiday episodes too. I'm, I'm just remembering girlfriends. Girlfriends always had the best holiday yes. episodes because Joan would always do the most on Christmas. Like when it was like <laughs> her tree or the holiday singing or whatever, she was just a hot mess. Um, <laughs> and I think I remember the Thanksgiving episode when they tried to fry the turkey. I think that was, like, the first season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Joan was so obsessed with holidays. I feel like there's a Cinco de Mayo episode of Girlfriend, which is a Cinco de Mayo episode. Only Joan Carol Clayton would have, you know, like a Cinco de Mayo ritual. It's crazy. So insane. So, yes. That's funny. All right, we're moving on to our next topic, not exactly to put anyone in the holiday spirit, but this week, um, How to Get Away with Murder, which is one of my favorite shows, had their winter finale. If you watch the show all season, it's been this mystery of who's under the sheet. Um, this is, I think this is the third season of the show, like the third murder mystery, like, the people on the show have a lot of issues where the people around them just seem to die all the time. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so all season they've been, you know, the biggest reveal has been who is under the sheet, who's under the sheet. In each episode they will reveal someone that was clearly not under the sheet. And so you're like, okay, great, this person's safe, I can go on. You know, they showed Michaela one episode. I was like, oh, great, she's, she's alive, I'm I'm happy. Um you know, Laurel, she was unconscious, but she was alive. You saw Connor, he's alive. You saw Wes talking to the um, <clears throat> detectives and everything. You're like, oh, great, Wes is alive. And then we fast forward to Thursday night, and bam. And this is not, well, if you haven't seen the show, you might want to click away because there's spoilers that are about to be revealed, although if you were on the Internet at all, you probably already had it revealed. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, despite seeing him alive two weeks earlier or thinking he was safe, it was revealed that West was actually the person that's under the sheet. Half of his face has been burned off, and he is dead. So in true Shondaland 
fashion, one of the major characters of the show is now gone, and there's no way I think that they can kind of reverse this, like, kind of, gotcha, it's not a trick, I think he's really gone. And so, of course, Twitter and Instagram was kind of all set ablaze by this, no pun intended, set ablaze by the reveal that it was him, (laughs) because like I said, two weeks earlier, we saw him and we thought, oh, okay, he made it out. But it turns out that that conversation that we saw was before the fire, and, you know, the show jumps around back and forth, so it's kind of hard to keep up with it a lot of the time. So we thought he was Mm -hmm. safe, he's not safe, and now he's gone. So I know, um, Candice, you don't watch the show anymore, and I know, Rebecca, you said you haven't had a chance to catch up yet, but have you seen the reactions from people online? And um, yeah, people are it? really, really upset. <laughs> yeah, I made the mistake <laughs> of going, of going on my, of checking and logging into Twitter like Thursday night, I think, um, like mm-hmm. eleven o'clock, and that's all I saw. Once I saw West, I was like, oh, he must be the one that's, you know, whatever, under the sheet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's kind of sad. I mean, I I I like the actor, but. I, I kind of feel like they wrote the character into a corner. Like, I while I'm surprised but not really surprised because, um, you know, after the second season, that whole backstory with Wes and his mother, I don't really feel like there was anything, there wasn't anywhere else he could go or there wasn't anything more they could do with him. Like, you could kind of see, like, they were positioning the other characters into season three, like Michaela hooking up with that goofy dude. I forget what his name is. Um Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, yeah, and then Connor um, and uh, whatchamacallit, that, that couple. Like, everybody was kind of positioning themselves, and it was just like Wes was just sort of like, there was nothing. <laughs> After <laughs> Rebecca was killed, and then his mother was killed, and it was just like, I mean, I guess now if you think about it, the writing was on the wall with him because, let's face it, in those kind of shows, nice characters don't last very long. So, um, <laughs> Unless he was going to turn evil, there really wasn't anything else they were going to do with Wes. But I, you know, I do hope that the actor will, you know, find more opportunities. I know a lot of people have been wish casting him for like a remake of, um, uh, what what's that one? The, uh, the, the 80s movie with the something dragon, uh, not Return of the Dragon. What am I thinking? Uh, the Last Dragon? The Last Dragon. Yeah. Everybody's been <laughs> okay. like wish Everybody's, like, wish-casting him in a remake, which I can actually kind of see him doing it. Um, so, yeah, it was yeah, it was, it was sad to hear he was going. Although, I'll, I'll be honest, I was, really, I, was, I was just relieved that it wasn't Nate because I'm in love with Nate. <laughs> I thought it was going to be him. So I'm like, yay, they get to keep him. So. Yeah, it's funny because the first episode of the season, you see her looking at whoever's under the sheet, and she has this, like, reaction where she's just, like, screaming and, like, you know, that snotty cry that only Viola can do and pull off. And so you're like, it has to be either Nate, who, you know, she loves, or Wes, because she felt so connected to him. You know, for the first two seasons, I was convinced that that was her son, even though I was wrong. Um, so, yeah, you kind of knew that it could possibly be Wes. But then, like I said, you saw him two weeks ago, so you're like, oh, so it's not Wes. Maybe it is Nate. And then they tricked us like they do so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, everyone that's connected to Wes has already been killed off the show. <laughs> so, yeah, yep. it kind of makes mm-hmm. sense that it was Wes. His mom's dead. They killed his girlfriend. And they shoot his dad as soon as he connects with him. And, yeah, it's kind of kind of was the writing had been on the wall. So, <laughs> 
I think it would be interesting if he maybe showed up on Grey's Anatomy as a doctor, because I do like the actor a lot. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, well, so we'll see. I guess the second half of the season will be dedicated to figuring out who killed Wes, because it turns out oh. that he was dead before the fire started. So, yeah. Oh. And also, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with that. Anyway. All right. For the um, next segment, it is, you know, it's getting in towards the season for awards, and we were just going to talk about some of the films that we're looking forward to this award season and the films that we think our listeners should kind of keep on their radar. Um, Candace, we'll start with you with Movies Major List. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, Nocturnal Animals. I would say, I, I continue to say that that actually has stood out um, pretty significantly um, because it's just one of those movies that I just don't think that we see often. Um, I, it's, the, it's also one of the only ones that I can really think of that I know that 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 for me, I know that I will be pushing for, um, and just telling people to to see. Um, I've seen a lot of other you know awards contenders that I'm also, I'm honestly just not very impressed with. And I know we talked briefly about um, Breath of a Nation um, on our chat like several weeks ago prior to the film coming out, and it was mostly surrounding the controversy, um, Nate, Nate Parker controversy. I've since seen the film. I'm really, really unimpressed. <laughs> but um, And I really wanted to love it despite everything. I really wanted to love it. I just couldn't really connect with it. Um, so I'm just, I'm at, like, off the top of my head, I'm just thinking about all the movies that I know folks are really pushing for awards contenders. And I'm just like, mm, next. I'm really interested in seeing Fences. Very, like, I'm so, so psyched to see that. I cannot wait yes. to see that. Um, I have seen Hidden Figures. I will not review it today, but I will say definitely see it. Um, what else? Um, there's a lot of, you know, again, there's just a lot of movies that I just don't really, didn't really love. Like Manchester by the Sea, and I think we we might have briefly mentioned it on an earlier podcast in passing. I. I was really, really impressed. <laughs> um, I, I'm assuming that a lot of the the movies that I'm really, really interested in are really going to, like, that are going to be appealing to me are, coming, are still to come, like Fences. Um, but I really like, it's a genre film, and I'm, I doubt folks will care about it, <laughs> but um, it's The Eyes of My Mother, which is a whole, it's a black and white horror film, um, horror slash, yeah, I guess, yeah, I would just stick with horror, I guess. Um, it's very morbid. Um, basically, it's about a young woman who's, um, her mother was, I'm going to get this wrong, but her mother worked on, and I don't remember what these people are called. Basically, she works on dead bodies to prepare them for burial, essentially. And so her daughter became very, very obsessed with just dead bodies and just the beauty of death. And just, it's very, very morbid, very dark. And as a result, her daughter, who um, spans about, maybe 
15, 20 years in the movie, but she grows up to have a more, even a, a more sophisticated obsession with death. Um, and she's very lonely. She's a little awkward for a variety of reasons. Um, and it starts to really, really influence the, the few relationships that she has, both familial and friendships. Um, but it's really, it's, I, I, I would definitely say, you know, keep, keep on your radar for that. I just recently saw uh, today Sasha's party. Did either of you see that? No. No, I haven't. Yeah, so I wouldn't recommend it, <laughs> but I know a lot of people. <laughs> I know a lot of people uh, who actually really like it. Um, I see what they were saying. I was just not impressed. So I was just like, uh, okay. So uh-uh. it was. It was. It was doing a lot with. As an animated film, I mean, it was just doing a whole lot, and it's basically a bunch of food that was animated and was able to talk, um, and it w- it touched on um, Christianity, Judaism, racism, homophobia, um, um, sexual orientation. I mean, it did a lot. With like some hot dogs and like burgers. <laughs> so, so is it supposed to be for kids? Uh, I don't think so. There's a lot of cursing. There's a lot of cursing. I mean, because so the sausage think... party kind of threw me off. I was like, seriously, is that what we're doing for the kids? Okay, we yeah. are really going there with sausages and ketchup and mustard. We really went all the way. It's sexual. It's very deviant. It's very just like denouncing um and regardless of where you stand religion wise but it's denouncing christianity and the idea of there being a god it was just it was just throwing in like the baby like everything it was throwing in so much and it was just like i like i'm sure conservatives would probably have a heart attack watching it but um it, it was just doing a lot even for people who don't you know um identify as conservative it was just doing uh, it, it, it was a lot for some food you know we're just, we're, we really are talking about food that can talk let's just keep that in perspective <laughs> but um so that um, i'm trying to think of i mean again i would just continue to say fences all the way i did see oh my gosh i did see um oj made in america and I remain so obsessed with the OJ story. I, I don't know. Like, I will own it. It's, it's like a real obsession. Um, but um, Ezra Edelman, who is actually the son of Marion Wright Edelman, did this extremely long documentary. It's three, four parts, I, I believe. Um, doc, or basic, yeah, basically documenting both OJ's story, OJ Simpson's story, as well as um, the political landscape, the sociopolitical landscape of America and, and specifically LA at that time. And it was just really, really fascinating. He was extremely meticulous. I will continue to say that documentarians right now are doing some of the best journalism, despite it not actually being their field or being like the formal, being identified as formal journalists, they are doing some of the best journalism 
in the last like five years that I've seen in like actual journalists do. And so I, I'll continue to say that, but, um, and so it's very meticulously researched. I mean, everyone who is still alive with the exception of OJ and uh, Robert Shapiro was interviewed for this story. So we're talking about the guy, um, the woman actually, she um, is transgender um, and she was a man at the point of one of the pilots essentially who was covering the chase. Uh, and I, I will use that term very loosely, basically the escort, the, the uh, police escort um, in the white Bronco. So she and another pilot were basically covering that story, and they basically were just on camera talking about the craziness of that particular day and then also following, up, following that up with covering aerial shots of the L.A. riots. And she specifically said, um, yeah, so there were no – there were zero police there like we can see we can look down and we're in our our helicopters we look down and there's like we got a call saying the police were just not going to come through for that they were like whatever if they kill kill themselves then that's just less black people that we have to deal with essentially and so they didn't even come down that way it was literally the apocalypse down there um but all that to say there's so many people who were interviewed including marcia clark and the remaining people who are working in uh, Johnny Cochran's office um, who were there, um, who also helped Johnny Cochran win the case. Um, they ta- there were just so many different views. I mean, there were also the people who were with, um, who accompanied O.J. Simpson on what ended up being the crime that landed him in jail this time. Um, and so they interviewed each of them and they told their stories and, and it was just really, really fascinating and also juxtaposing that with the sociopolitical um, narrative. And so I, I remain enthralled. I will say, and I tell everyone this, I, it's highly recommended to watch the documentary, but I will say it's seven and a half hours and that's all I'm going to say about that. It is seven and a half <laughs> hours, and you feel those seven and a half hours. Oh, um, So I think it's three discs, um, but it's, it's intense. It's very intense, very, very long. Um, trying to think what else have I seen. Um, I've seen – oh, did we, did we talk about the 13th on the show? And we did during a I chat, but not on, on the podcast, no. Okay. Well, I, I just recently saw it, and I, and I really liked that as well. Um, I also saw two other documentaries, Audrey and Daisy and Amanda Knox. Um, I liked them both. I, I wonder whether I should probably watch Amanda Knox again, but I, I will say I definitely preferred – Audrey and Daisy over Amanda Knox. Um, it was very skewed, Amanda Knox. <laughs> it was just very, like even from the very beginning, we see her. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it's, it is very, very um, skewed to her point of view. And so it wasn't like, you know, something like the O.J. OJ Man in America, even though those, those two shouldn't be compared because there's just 
way too much story in OJ Made in America. It's a much, much longer movie, but um, it's still more balanced. Um, there's a lot of different perspectives in that. But um, um, Audrey and Daisy is the basically following two major cases in America of um, college campus rape and uh, sexual assault and the aftermath and how we as a nation um, discuss college campus rape um, among this particular age group and the aftermath of rape. Um, so it was, very, it was definitely interesting. It was one of those things that I don't think we talk enough about, we meaning people, you know, in cinema. Um, but, yeah, so those are, those are the few that I that I would recommend and some of some of which I wouldn't recommend. What about you guys? Um, well I saw the Amanda Knox movie too and I agree a hundred percent with what you said because it starts <laughs> off and it's like this is how I was wrong when mm-hmm. I was in Italy. Oh yeah, and my roommate was killed. But this is how I was wrong. <laughs> Let's right, talk about how I am way. the victim. <laughs> And yeah. there's a dead girl in the apartment, but I am the victim. Yeah. And I will show yeah. you every which way that I have been made the victim. And I was yeah. like, yeah. I think I watched 30 minutes of it, fell asleep, and then I had to go back and watch the rest of it. So I was just like, you're killing me. I get it. You were wrong. Okay. So, right. Yeah. That one was a they needed more perspective. Exhausting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca, what's on your list, though? Um. Some categories. I was thinking about uh, the animated, um, the animated feature uh, category. Um, I really like Zootopia, so I have a feeling, and I think a lot of, mm. I think it's got like ninety something on Rotten Tomatoes. So I, I can definitely see Zootopia being like a front runner in the animated feature um, category. And another movie, I really like this movie, but I'm just kind of torn over the politics of it. Kubo and the Two Strings was an excellent movie. It was an excellent movie, and I think one of the best movies to come out this year. Um, the only reason why I gave it a major, a major negative was that this is a story about Japanese culture, and all the voiceovers were white people. I wasn't oh, why do really you keep sure. doing that? Huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, it just like, drives Kubo, me crazy. Like, yeah, like Kubo was voiced by like some. Um, he played Rakan on uh, Game of Thrones. So he was like this 15-year-old Irish kid. And I was like, you guys couldn't find a, a child of Asian descent or Japanese descent, uh, whatever. So that's why mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings on Kubo. But otherwise, I mean, from a cinematic point of view, it was, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. I love Zootopia. Um, I don't think this movie is going to have any Oscar potential, but I actually liked it. I know some people didn't like it. I thought Pets was hilarious, and I, I credit that mostly to Kevin Hart because just the juxtaposition of seeing, like, this cute furry bunny rabbit and to have Kevin Hart's mouth uh, voice coming out of this rabbit <laughs> was just I, – I, now, I'll be honest. It was not the most original movie. I think it's cute. I think it's a cute movie to, to, to see it. But I, I feel like I want to give Kevin Hart something. Like, I feel we should nominate him for something because he really carried that movie. Like, he was really, like, the comic relief of Pat. So um, that one of the other movies that I see people are talking about, like, front runner for the Oscars, and I actually fell asleep during it, was Finding <laughs> Dory. 
I didn't think Finding Dory was all that. Like, it was beautiful (laughs) to look at, but I just felt like we saw this already with Finding Nemo. Like, what was the point of, like, rehashing this whole, you know what I mean? Like, making this movie. Mm. So, anyway, but yeah, my two top contenders for animated are Two Long to Two Strings, um, Zootopia, um, and then as far as um, features or dramas, um, I'm really hoping that Moonlight will be able to go over the Oh, hospital. right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think A24, like the studio behind Moonlight, um, like they have mm-hmm. been doing amazing work. They are, like, every day when I go on Twitter, they are, like, their their social media is active. They're engaging people. It's getting great reviews. Um, it was just, you know, I, I'm afraid that, I mean, the Oscars are good for, 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 for noticing small and quiet more indie-type movies, but I'm just, I'm a little nervous for Moonlight because these kind of stories told from a POC point of view rarely get recognition like a movie like Pariah, which they totally ignored. Um, mm. So I'm really hoping that this time, since they have a, a, you know, A24 seems to have some juice, I'm really hoping that mm-hmm. Mary Van Green, and I really hope that, um, you know, as far as, like, original screen, uh, well, adapted screenplay and directing, cinematography was beautiful and especially the um the soundtrack because when you think about mm-hmm. it like the soundtrack for moonlight is really non-traditional i mean like it, it's definitely black it definitely has blackness in it but there are some inspired choices that i think in the movie like the scene where um black uh meets uh his ex-lover at the diner and then you know, he goes mm-hmm. to the jukebox and plays, like, that really classic 60s movie. And it just fit with that scene. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that movie will get um, recognition. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen this movie, but I, a lot of people are talking about it. Well, let me talk about the ones I have seen. So that one, Loving I Just Saw Today. <gasps> yes, I, I forgot about that. really, <laughs> really like that movie. This is just my little mini review. But the, what I loved about Loving, and I think what was so key about this story because we've had a documentary we had a movie of the week about loving um which i which was good i I really liked it but i think what i liked about this adaptation of the loving story was jeff jeff nichols approach to it is that he decided to take a movie that was political and make it personal and it was very Mm -hmm. much about the, the, the people the people that you choose to love is never a political act when a black person decides to love a white person or a white person decides it's not, nobody's ever looking at them like, Hey, let me make a political statement and, you know, be in this mm-hmm. interracial relationship and have these mixed race children and piss people off. The average person doesn't do that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they really are just, it's about connecting with that person. And I think Jeff Nichols really nailed that, you know, and especially mm-hmm. when you see the, 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 you know, the side by side where you see the lawyers going to the Supreme court um, arguing mm-hmm. the case, and meanwhile, he's just fixing his car, his car, playing with his kids, and she's cooking in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And I think mm-hmm. what was so great about loving to me was the message was that sometimes the best act of rebellion or the best act of being political is living your life. Just waking mm-hmm. up in your, just waking up in the morning as a black woman is a revolutionary act. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could choose to join civil, you know, liberal, the ACLU and a lot of other things, but other people choose to be political in their own way. You know what I mean? People can protest and other people just wake up in the morning and take their kids to school and pay their bills. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that was what was so great about loving. So I'm really hoping Joel Edgerton was excellent in that role because that is a mm-hmm. very hard 
that's a hard performance because Richard Loving was someone who was not very loquacious. He was someone who was very quiet, very salt of the earth, very alpha male, very, you know, and his wife Mildred in, you know, comparison was sort of like the emotional uh, part of their relationship. And it's, and when you watch live footage of Richard and Mildred, I really feel like Joel and Ruth Nego, they nailed that. Like I really mm-hmm. forgot that I was watching a movie. Like it felt like a documentary in in some aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that people will will that that they'll do that. Um, I haven't seen this movie yet, but a lot of people are talking about it, and I have a feeling that's the movie that'll probably be the threat to Moonlight in some ways. Um, but La La Land, the movie with uh, Ryan Gosling mm-hmm. and Emma Stone, if <laughs> I, have, uh, I haven't <laughs> seen it. Have you seen it, Candace? I haven't. No, I actually am going to see it on Monday. I just, okay. I just don't have high hopes. I, I, but you know, I've heard, I've heard great things. I've heard great things. I, and just, right. I think I was more, I was more reacting to you putting Moonlight and La La Land in the same sentence. I was like, oh, is that where we're at? We're, we're, we're like, we're, we're, yeah. we're, 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 yeah, they're two different movies. Don't get me wrong. They're two different movies, mm-hmm. but it's just interesting to me to see, like, like they're kind of, the only reason why I say that is because they're both critically acclaimed on that same level. Mm-hmm. Not that they're, the themes are alike or anything, but everyone's talking mm-hmm. about Barry Dunn. Everyone's talking about Daniel LaChazelle. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, God, please don't let, don't kick Moonlight out <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of the thing. But, I mean, La La Land, of course, is different. It's a musical. I mean, I saw the trailer. It looks cute. I mean, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I'll I'll give it a go. But um, I'll, I'll give it a chance really not really because of Ryan Gosling and because of Emma Stone, but really because of the director, because I loved Whiplash. Whiplash is one of my favorite movies. Um, mm. What was that, last year or year, year before? So I'm going to go in with an open mind and kind of see what mm-hmm. that is about. The other movie that is the most talked about, which I need to see, is Manchester, Manchester by the Sea. It's getting a lot of mm. Girl, I saw that trailer and I was like, "This is really awesome." That's what it is. Let me talk to y'all a little bit about Manchester by the Sea. So Manchester by the Sea is one of you know. I think what what drives me the most crazy is that it is so one of their movies. I'm just yes. like, of course he shows Manchester by the Sea. Of course, it is boring as hell. I love Casey Affleck. I, I love, um, what's her name? I love Michelle Williams. I have Michelle a zero Williams. against the two of them. I love them to pieces. They are great. They are great in this movie. They are great not in this movie. They're just great in concept. This movie, oh. though, <laughs> this movie, though, is very, I, I just, I'm agitated by this movie, partly because mm-hmm. it's like, a, it's just, it's so their movie. It's so, of course, they would, they would go for like the super bland, like they continue to, and I, and I continue to say this, Hollywood continues to push out these narratives that are set in greater Boston area and they're all about the exact same narrative over and over and over again. I want to know who's, I want to know who, and as a black woman from Boston, I'm just like, seriously, this is all y'all got. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like it's just completely erasing everybody else, every other narrative. And then, you know, I, I was 
telling one of my friends this over the weekend because I was like, you know, still very upset about Manchester by the Sea. And I was telling her, I was just like, why not a story about Gwen Eiffel, who worked for years as a black journalist in Boston? <laughs> Where's that story? Oh, Where's that awesome. story? We're not going to ever get that story because, we, you know, Hollywood just doesn't want one a strong, intelligent black woman educated in Boston, they're not trying to have that. They're not trying to have that story. And that's what bothers mm-hmm. me because it's just like, okay, this is, this is so ridiculous. And it's so, um, it's another blue collar narrative. It's about loss. It's about, you know, there's actually this, this piece that ran, um, I don't remember what, um, what site ran it, but they were just talking about the plight of, the blue collar white male on screen <laughs> and Casey oh, Affleck. <laughs> no. <laughs> Casey Affleck was one of or his character is one of the, the characters that they spotlighted. They were just like, this is the trend of what we're seeing, you know, as we um approach the award season. Like we're gonna hear a lot about Manchester by the scene. Even like hearing Matt Damon who I you know, whatever, outside of whatever what other people might think about him he was talking about Manchester by the sea and almost like he was like almost reduced to tears and I was like dude I saw it and I don't know what the problem is like why are you so why are you so in your feelings it's, it's not like I don't know but I guess this is for people like that I don't I don't know I'm just like I don't recognize the characters I don't care really about the story although there is some serious grief that both Michelle Williams' character and Casey Affleck's character is dealing with, and, and I'm not going to um, dismiss that because it's very real and very, very sad. Uh-huh. But it's th- there's just still, um, again, I think I'm more, I'm most enraged by the fact that this is what this is what they're choosing as their their golden child this year, and uh-huh. not like the more adventurous, the more. Um, what do you call it? The more outside of the box film. Mm-hmm. And I know that genre is just never going to have its day. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but at least think of things that are outside the box. And I'm sure Nocturnal Animals is going to be nowhere to be found because it's way too dark and way yeah. too, <laughs> it's way, like the woman is also kind of the villain. And it's just like, they're not going to go for any of that because it's not in that box. And that's what drives me crazy when we think about, when we talk about what is talked about and how it's talked about. Manchester yeah. by the scene, any other type of movie like that, this is what they're going to be hailing, where all these really fine directors and fine screenplays and fine narratives are just being pushed to the wayside because they're still, in 2016, not ready to embrace these narratives. I'll get off no, my soapbox. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad that you love it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, um, Candace, because when I think about it, it's true. Almost every movie, particularly any Oscar-contending movie that comes from Boston, is always a lily-white cast. Like, you would never Mm -hmm. guess there are people of color or black people that live in Boston. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. have not seen Manchester by the Sea, but that's what trailers are for. Trailers are here to engage Mm -hmm. us. And me, as a moviegoer, it doesn't entice me. The, the film critic in me is going to go see it, but I'm just saying, it, would I pay $13 for Manchester by the Sea? No, I would not <laughs> see that. So, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, hopefully this, this year or next year's Oscars is really an opportunity for them to really set forth.
forward and just be like, you know, we want to reward different type of storytelling, different types of people or, you know, representations. It's mm-hmm. sad to hear that, that nocturnal animals, oh, well, I could see them doing that. Well, if, that, if mm-hmm. you're saying that for nocturnal animals, then I'm really concerned for The Handmaiden because that's another movie that mm-hmm. I really love. But it's mm-hmm. also very dark and twisted. Plus, it's, I mean, I guess it, it would probably be more, I don't know how they're going to do Handmaiden. Is it? It's distributed here, but it's it's an all foreign cast in uh, with um, subtitles. So I don't know if they can mm. put it in the same running with the other movies, or they'll put it in a foreign film. I'm not sure, but I definitely want to see The Handmaiden get some um, get some recognition because I think mm-hmm. just the fact that you could adapt a book that was about 18th century white people in London and then mm. you switch it and make it about an early 20th, 20th century um, Japanese nobles, you know, like, like so Park Chan-wook really just took it and was like, I'm not going to whitewash it. I'm going to infuse my own culture in there, you know. Mm, and it, and to it. me, my personal opinion, I think it made it more interesting as opposed to if you had cast, oh, Keira Knightley and whatever, you know, your favorite British actress. I think it, <laughs> it, it added layers to The Handmaid that it wouldn't have otherwise with all-white cast. So um, I definitely want to see that in the running. And hopefully – Maybe that will fire up other studios to see that, hey, we can take adaptations of books and put people of color in it, mm-hmm. and it can get us awards and it can get us attention. So, mm-hmm. um, Oh, the other, the, one other movie, I haven't seen it, but, I, but the trailers just look amazing, and I'm hoping maybe it'll be in the Oscar running, is A Monster Call. Every time I see mm-hmm. that trailer, it just makes me teary-eyed. It looks beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe it'll, it'll, it'll make the running for that. So. Let me check that. Is that the animated film? Um, no, well, it's, it's, it's basically a little boy. It's with Felicity Jones and Liam Neeson. It's a little boy. His mom is dying of cancer. So in order to cope with his mom's, mom's dying, he summons up like this monster. It's like a, a huge tree monster oh. and it's voiced by Liam Neeson. Yeah, so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you know, and so it, it looks really interesting, and I'm I'm always interested in in stories where children are dealing with grief, and not in a very mm-hmm. Disney cartoon way, but in a very real and adult way, or I guess yeah, mm-hmm. in a really real way. So I'm I'm it looks like the mon- a monster calls is going to go in that direction. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I- I've been hearing about it, but I hadn't. I didn't really know what it was, and I really hadn't like mm-hmm. looked it up. So that's actually, you actually made me interested. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, on my list, I had pretty much the same. Some of the same films that you all had. Um, Hidden Figures. I'm so excited about this film. Like, I feel like there's no way that this film can let me down. <laughs> no way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, black women scientists. Working for mm-hmm. NASA, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited. Um, loving, you know, I saw the documentary about it. I'm very yes. interested. Everything that I've heard about the film has been great. Like, I don't think I've heard one negative thing about the film, so I'm very excited mm-hmm. to see that. Fences, um, mm-hmm. I love Viola, like, hardcore. And I think Fences yes. was maybe the first um, show that I saw on Broadway. I think it was. Oh wow! Um, Denzel, yeah, with Denzel and Viola, she was amazing. He was amazing. They won Tonys, but I expect nothing less than amazing from the film. Um, The Thirteenth, again, we talked about it during one of our chats. 
it's a great documentary about the 13th Amendment and how it basically just <laughs> extended the slavery in a different form and how mm-hmm. the impact of that, and we're still facing those today right now, 2016, as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. The other films that I had on my list, I haven't seen, um, but I am kind of interested in. One of them is Collateral Beauty with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And I know Will oh, yeah. is always so hit or miss. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I really hope that this is a hit. I, I pray. <laughs> I pray. Like the trailer, everything about it looks like something that I would be completely fucked up into. <laughs> it looks mm-hmm. like my kind of film, so I really hope that it is. Um I love the cast, Will Smith, Jacob Lattimore, um, Kate Winslet, Helen Mirren. I love Helen Mirren, Naomi Harris. So, you know, on the surface, it looks like it's going to be great, but you never really, really know until you actually see it. So um, that's on my list. Another is Jackie with Natalie Portman. Oh, yeah. And I feel like people always talk about how much she looks like Jackie Kennedy. And I just want to see if she could actually pull it off. I think the movie is kind of set, like, after the assassination and her kind of readjusting her life after that point. So that could be it go, it goes, you know, something. It goes in and out. Sorry, it goes back and forth in time. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in seeing Natalie as Jackie Kennedy. Um, another one is Lion with Dev Patel. I just yeah. I don't know why I have this soft spot for Des Patel. I really mm-hmm. want him to win. <laughs> just want mm-hmm. him to win at life. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, he plays this character who kind of uses Google Earth to kind of pinpoint the place where he was born in India before he was adopted by this, I think, Australian couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and the little boy who plays the young character, I don't know the character's name, but he's so adorable and he makes my heart melt. So I want to see that film. <laughs> and the other one is 20th Century Woman with Annette Benning. Mm-hmm. Annette Benning is another one of those people who I just want her to win. I feel like every time yeah. she has these Oscar moments, Hillary Swank mm-hmm. swoops in and takes it away from her, <laughs> which is not Hillary's fault. It just happens that way. I just think that she's really talented. And she's had, like, some amazing performances, but she's never, like, gotten that Oscar gold. Um, and it's not all about that, but, you know, she's one of those people that I just root for in general. So those are the films that I'm looking forward to season. Um, I think that is it. We're almost done. Anything else you ladies have to mention? Um, oh, I just wanted to mention real quick that um, I mentioned it on Friday because I, I just started watching it. But um, the BBC has this amazing new um, uh, documentary series called Black is the, Black is the New Black. Um, and it's basically just exploring what it is to, to be black and British um, in the UK. And it is so good. I think it comes in four parts. It's, uh, what, three episodes are already online. I'll tweet out the link um, so you can watch it online. And so they, um, David Harewood, who's uh, from Supergirl, is on there. Naomi Campbell, mm. Candy Newton, um, Patricia Scotland. Like a lot of, and I like that, I love that it's a mix of like, you know, artists and politicians and just, like, people from different walks of life just talking mm-hmm. about their experiences. And what I, I only, I've only seen one episode of uh, one of four, but what struck me was just the commonalities and the experiences of being the other in, a mo- in mostly mm-hmm. white spaces. And, you know, they're very open about, um, you know, uh, 
racism. Uh, David Harewood shared a story, and I, I was trying not to tear up. Um, he went to a, I think it was a cricket game, a cricket game uh, when he was eight years old, and he went to go sit up in the bleachers, and he was like, while he was trying to walk up there, it was just like he was just being yelled at. He was called the N-word, a coon, a nigger, a monkey, just everything. And mm. he just was like, um, he was so traumatized by that that he never, to this day, has never attended a cricket game in the U.K., mm. you know. So it's, it's real. And David Hare would also host, um, an offshoot of the series, um, there's another uh, documentary called Will We Ever Have a Black Prime Minister um, in the U.K.? And he basically breaks down the chances. He uses um, educators, um, uh, um, statistic experts to break down what are the realistic chances of a child of color becoming Brian Prime Minister? You need to watch oh, that. Oh, I've like, seen that. I mean, I've, yeah. seen, I've heard of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm I'm really glad that they're doing this work because, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, a romanticized version in America that, you know, racism is only here and that, you know, if you're a black person overseas in Europe, you know, you're just drinking wine and eating croissants and, and everything is cool and it's like no racism you know racism looks a little different it operates a little bit different in the UK but it's it's still as damaging and it is still as insidious so yeah I would definitely recommend watching it It's, it's really good yeah I um two sorry two other things as you were talking it reminded me of two things one, because um, I know we talked about this a couple times, both on chat and on the on a podcast before, was the affair, and it starts again today. And I know we were wondering when it comes back. It starts starts again today. Um, the the season premiere, which is the thing that airs tonight, of uh, season three, actually has been on YouTube for a while, but it's going to mm-hmm. actually officially air t- tonight. Uh, I want to say oh. at nine o'clock on Showtime. Um, so there's that. And the other thing I want to say, speaking of, like, British narratives, is Chewing Gum, which is on Netflix. Yes! <laughs> I have seen so many people talking about that. Yes, so please, please, please see it. I mean, it's kind of, it's a very, very short season. I think there's only, there's only one season there. And yeah. I was really, I was so surprised by it. Like, you can go through it in less than three hours, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is actually, like, the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's <Isn't> really, it? <laughs> yeah. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was just like, I don't know, I wasn't really checking for it, and then I'm like, now I'm obsessed with it. Um, but um, it's basically about, and it's, and it's, I think it's written and directed and stars the same black um, British woman. Um, she's mm-hmm. quite young as well. I think she's in her... Um, 20s um and she plays a virgin and it's just it's very quirky it's very like nerdy but it's very it's it's just her navigating this space as a black british woman who's also a virgin who's also Mm -hmm. you know has these really strange really like fun and quirky friends and you know there's so much really interesting um really authentic representation of, mm-hmm. you know, um, black British men, women, straight, you know, um, gay. There's so much diversity, in, and they tackle so many different things. It's a comedy, so it's very lighthearted, but they touch on so many different areas. So, anyway, that's my yeah. little plug. I love that show. Yeah, I saw mm-hmm. it. Um, 
I, I binged it last Saturday morning. Yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. each episode is like 20-something, 25 minutes. There's only mm-hmm. six episodes. But it's, Michaela Cole is like a freaking genius. I was just sitting there mm-hmm. like, where has she been all my life? She's <laughs> she is so funny. And, yeah, like, she mm-hmm. did everything, wrote it, directed it, acted it, whatever. But um, just quickly, the one thing that I loved about Chewing Gum, and I'm feeling like I, I, I want to write about this, was a sh- a, this show about this woman who's a virgin. Um, actually, for all its raunchiness and its funniness, it has a lot of great um, feminist commentary, right, mm-hmm. about sexual mm-hmm. agency and about sexual consent. Like, just a little spoiler, in the first episode, um, Tracy's best friend, she's dating this guy, and he's, like, really sweet, but, like, when they have sex, he's always, like, Reading, he's always like you know spouting poetry, and he's just all lovey dovey. And her friend is like, no, I want it rough. Like I want him to smack yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like talk dirty to me. And when she tells him that, he's like, oh no, but I, you know, I, I can't do that. You know, whatever. And then she has that conversation where she was like, if it's consensual, it's okay. If that's what I want as the woman, if I want you to have rough sex with me, then that's okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was just. Oh, it's such a great show. It's such a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm Agreed. Oh, I'm excited. It's funny because I hadn't heard of it, and then, like, in the past two weeks, it seems like everyone is watching this show, and I feel like I'm left out. So I'm definitely going to watch it this <laughs> week while yeah. I break. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have today. We hope everyone has an amazing Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll be back in two weeks with our chat. Have a yeah. great week, everyone. Bye. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, everyone.